0: Hello, Americans nationwide. It's Eric Erickson here. Delighted to have you with me. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. We are nationwide. And you can email me, Eric E-R-I-C-K at ewerrickson.com. You can also follow me on social media at EW E W E R I C K S O N. You should follow me on Instagram. It's where I'm actually put up the least political stuff and lots of cooking pictures and other stuff as I travel around and thereabouts. All right, Ron has been waiting very patiently on the phones. I actually want to start this hour with Ron. Welcome, Ron. How are you? I'm uh, doing good, Eric. Uh, I hope you are. But, I uh, am. Yeah, I was, tell- I was telling your uh, screen caller. Uh, funny thing, we went to my son's, uh, well, the high school basketball game last night, and all the kids had to wear masks. But yeah, they could wear them down underneath their chin like a chin diaper, like they call caught her on a towel town park. But uh, the funny thing was that the rest had to uh, uh wear a mask all, all over the face, and there was no fewer than five official tie timeouts so they could stop, take off their mask, and breathe. I mean, it was hilarious. Wow. Wow. I mean the um, first, on the first on the first official timeout like I uh, like what happened? I asked my wife, I said, I mean, is, is there a, a te- 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 technical? Is there, you know, what's going on? They go, no, nah, so, so they could breathe. And the three <laughs> of them were huddled up over there in the corner. <laughs> oh, wow. That just, I mean, the whole thing at this point is absurd. Uh, it, it, it genuinely is. Uh, Ron, that, that actually makes my day to hear that just the absurdity of it, it makes me laugh. I hate it for the kids, but the fact that they're really able to pull them down, um, it's not science at this point. Particularly for kids and the the cloth masks, and you know by the way, because there's now more research that shows the cloth masks only do reductions of about ten percent. Uh, now the left is like everybody's got to wear it in ninety five. We need in ninety five mask for everyone. No, just get the vaccine and the booster. And if you get it, the odds are it's not going to matter much. It, y'all, it, it's we're, we've just we've reached peak absurdity on this sort of stuff. Speaking of peak absurdity, I want to talk about something. So yesterday, if you subscribe to the podcast, I did an extra stack of stuff yesterday uh, where I talked about things that I meant to talk about. But with the Stephen Breyer news yesterday, I couldn't talk about them on air. And so I had to I had to do an additional show. And I I there was one of the topics that I talked about that I actually want to spend a little more time on. There is a phenomenon on the internet where there are lots of people who are dedicated to the idea of cryptocurrency. It is essential oils for the unchurched and even for some in the church. Now I have to distinguish this because I have found that uh, when you talk about cryptocurrency, There is a brigade of people who will come after you online and my email will light up with complaints and criticisms and anger and rage. I have friends of mine who have gone completely all in on crypto. And it, to me, looks like a Ponzi scheme. Now, there are a couple of things I got to say out of the gate here. The underlying technologies are impressive, but I don't think we should uh, equate the underlying tech and algorithms with the actual product of Bitcoin or Ethereum. Now, full disclosure, I own a little bit of both. Just because a while back, friends of mine were like, oh, you should buy, you should buy, you should buy, you should buy. I was like, all right. And then I thought, well, you know, I bought it. I better figure out what it is. I'm like, I can't believe I just bought it. There are problems. Now, for those of you who don't know what cryptocurrency is, let me let me give you a brief explanation from what they say. Essentially, cryptocurrency is a currency that is backed by a mathematical algorithm. So wherever you are in the universe, the algorithm can relate to your value, your, your currency, your coin, or your token and you, it has a value. That value is, it is assessed essentially with an equation to a dollar value or a, um, a pound value or a euro value, but really you're valuing against other crypto. But there is a currency conversion rate to your fiat currency. Now, what is a fiat currency? Back after World War II, uh, the major world powers sat around the table and decided that their, their currency was going to be worth X. Uh, by fiat, by demand, our, our currency is going to be this. And every other world currency that wasn't at the table is valued in relation to X. And typically, uh, the dollar is the world's reserve currency. People hold the U.S. dollar in reserve, although increasingly China wants people to hold uh, their currency in reserve. There's a problem with cryptocurrency. One of the problems is if you believe the environmentalists, and some people don't, but the amount of energy used with computing technology to run the algorithms to mine is what they're called. Essentially, you run a bunch of mathematical equations. And eventually, running these mathematical equations, you get to a number that equates to a coin, a Bitcoin or an Ethereum. And... In so doing and running those math equations, often with uh, power intensive graphic processor units, you're using a ton of power. And it's estimated uh, that the amount of power used to mine cryptocurrency now is about 1% of global GDP, which amounts to far more GDP than many countries on the planet. The, The amount of energy that's being expended and that energy is not going into the equation per se. So you're paying dollars for your power bill. And you're mining your cryptocurrency. Your cryptocurrency goes into your crypto pot. But your dollars that you pay your uh, bills with and your power bill with, they're coming from your general income. Typically, if there's a conversion rate, it's not converting well because you got to pay the power bill. And you can buy cryptocurrency, but who are you buying it from? You're buying it from other crypto people. You're not buying it in the real world. You can't, you can't. And this is my singular hesitation uh, with cryptocurrency more than anything else. With very few exceptions, you can't go into your local McDonald's and order your hamburger and say, I'd like to pay for this with Bitcoin. They will look at you and say, you can't get a bit of this burger with your Bitcoin. Give me dollar bills. I want Ben Franklin, not Bitcoin. There's a gas station next to my office, and it has a neon sign that advertises a Bitcoin ATM. But there's a conversion issue there because you're not getting Bitcoin out of the machine. You're getting dollar bills out of the machine. I don't think it's sustainable. And I, I and part of my reason for not thinking this current wave, and by the way, let me be clear. I think cryptocurrency and the blockchain, we'll get into the blockchain in a minute. Long term, yes, there are real benefits for embracing these things, but the actual substance of what we have right now from uh, NFTs, which are garbage, uh, and Bitcoin and Ethereum and the like—it's—it's it's a currency that goes up and goes down and goes up and goes down. It's a roller coaster ride. And no one can really quite explain why it's going up and down. Everyone has a hypothesis. It appears to be people are viewing it like they view gold as a hedge against interest rates or inflation. And it's going down now because everyone knows the Federal Reserve is going to increase interest rates. And that's going to drive inflation down. So your hedge against inflation is no longer working for you. So people are selling. A friend of mine says the thing you need to know is it goes up and it goes down, and but it goes back up again. Who does it go back up with? It's not going back up with the massive new pool of entrants into buying it. It's going back up with the people who are already in it. They're essentially trading back and forth with each other. And that, again, makes it look to me like a Ponzi scheme. And what I've noticed more and more on social media, whether it is on comments on Instagram or on Twitter, there are a ton of young men in particular. It's it's the libertarian bros who are into physical fitness and cryptocurrency, and it is the craziest thing. There is a Venn diagram of people who are heavily into uh, physical fitness and those who are into crypto, and they are almost a one single circle in the Venn diagram. It's kind of weird. And they also get really, really, really angry with anyone who casts doubt on cryptocurrency. I will think that cryptocurrency is a real thing, when I can go to McDonald's and buy my hamburger with it in the United States. In El Salvador, the El Salvadorian president has bragged that he likes to trade cryptocurrency naked in the mornings. He's a younger guy. I think he's 40 years old. Uh, He likes to be naked in the morning and trade crypto, and he has allowed crypto to be legal currency in El Salvador. And they're having massive issues with bonds now in El Salvador. The economy is further destabilized because of the allowance of cryptocurrency into the El Salvadorian economy. It's causing tons of problems down there. It's causing all sorts of havoc when it comes to El Salvador. They have $800 million worth of bonds coming due. They're currently priced in distressed territory. The bond was to yield 6%. If an investor picked it up today and held it to maturity, they'd get 35% return that says a lot about the risk, not about the attractiveness of the opportunity. The bond yields goes up when it's it's a risky bet for you. There's not a lot of stability there. By the way, the, the president down there, um, Moody's downgraded El Salvador sovereign debt due to Bitcoin trading. And the El Salvadorian president tweeted, this is the actual tweet. Can you imagine Donald Trump doing this? The actual president of El Salvador treated breaking... El Salvador DGAF. Don't give a F word. Um, that's a problem. It's a real problem. Also, a growing problem is a lot of com- a lot of countries have decided they're going to prohibit trades in cryptocurrency. See, here's, here's, here's the bottom line problem with cryptocurrency. You and I can say this is great. It's, it's on a mathematical algorithm that you can run anywhere in the known universe and still come up with this stuff. And so it trades outside of normal governmental fiat currency. There's some truth to that, and there is some benefit to that. The blockchain that you hear a lot about is essentially an algorithmic-based database that can exist anywhere based on these mathematical algorithms. So no country can control it, except we're finding out that some of the blockchain hype uh, in some cases is not real. And there actually are databases that can be deleted by governments and wipe out your investments. But in general, the premise is actually really cool. This idea that you, me, or anyone else with a computer can run an algorithm and it can establish property rights and it can establish currency and no government can control that. That's actually a really cool idea. It actually really is, but there's a problem. Governments at the end of the day are in charge. Whether you like it or not, governments are in charge. And if governments say you can't do this, you can't do it. You cannot, for example, Go to your local grocery store and pay with Bitcoin right now. It's not accepted as legal tender. The government of the United States is planning on coming up with its own version of a digital dollar. They're exploring it. China is coming up with its own cryptocurrency. Guess what you're going to have to use in China? Governments are getting in on the act. I had a criminal law professor in law school who told me the only difference between the mob and the government is that the mob had Big Louie who would break your kneecaps, and the IR, and the government had the IRS, which would throw you in jail. And the government refused to recognize Big Louie, and everyone had to recognize the IRS. That's the problem with cryptocurrency right now is governments don't have to recognize it, but you have to recognize the government. And as much as there's a libertarian pipe dream out there of we can get this stuff in an algorithm, in a blockchain, away from the controls of government, you really can't because the world is divided up into about 198 Sovereign entities called countries and those countries all have governments and those governments control things in the way you don't. And if you want to deal with cryptocurrency and the government doesn't want you to, you're essentially dealing with it outside the proper chains of how currency is dealt with, which means you're always the loser because the currency exchange rate is going to price in the fact that you're converting from something that is useless in your country to something that is useful. So you're going to get dinged with it. It is the tulip bulbs of the Dutch in that regard, lots of hype from lots of people, lots of young men in particular, that at some point, if they're not careful, is going to come crashing down around them. And the number of people who are taking out real loans with real money to put it into cryptocurrency, it's going to cause a fiscal meltdown when the markets go down even further and the bills start coming due. I can see this coming and so can a lot of other people. But the crypto people, they just keep tweeting out hashtags thinking it can't touch them. Hello there. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. So I'm wondering, Miami's about to experience some real global warming. Is that going to deal with the Pythons? And by global warming, I mean it's about to get really cold in Miami. Uh, Arctic chill to bring 30s for the first time in 11 years to Miami. Floridians Live in Miami will be grabbing the blankets this weekend. According to this Fox weather report, coldest temperatures in 11 years. The chill will be felt with a low bottoming out to 38 degrees. The last time temperatures dropped to below 40 in Miami was December 28, 2010. A 1966 record in Lakeland could be broken Sunday morning when temperatures reach a low of 27 degrees. Orlando, Fort Myers, and Fort Lauderdale could see record cold. The forecast for Orlando is 30 degrees. The record from 1966 was 31. The National Weather Service issued a special weather statement on Wednesday, warning of a cold front that'll move into Florida Friday, then off to the southeastern Florida coast during the pre dawn hour Saturday. And so temperatures are going to crash. Uh, the Saturday temperature in Orlando will be 49, and on Sunday it'll be 31. Now, my question here is not really about global warming or climate change or anything like that. It is pythons. As you know, people have been dropping their abandoned little fluffies. Uh, They call them fluffy, and it's a python, and they drop them off in the Everglades. They don't want to kill them, or they flush them down the drain or something. And the python gets to the Everglades, and the pythons are wiping out the ecosystem Of the Everglades. And they've started moving north, by the way. They found them up towards Orlando now in places. They're eating the alligators. They're eating the deer. They're eating the rabbits. They're eating the birds. They're eating everything. And you're just gonna have snakes. And I hate snakes. My gosh, do I hate snakes? And to think there are giant pythons down there. So are they going to get killed by the cold? Because these are not uh they're they're warm weather, hot weather animals. And the Florida Everglades has been a perfect environment for it because it doesn't get that cold, and it's going to get frigid. So I'm told by several friends that it probably will not kill the big ones, but the small ones and the young ones, it may wipe them out, and that may actually be a good thing. But you know they they try to get um, the, they try to get people to go out and hunt these pythons, and they're very hard to find because. Being cold weather animals, their temperatures, you can't really use infrared around them. They kind of blend in with the environment on that. It's, it is going to be something, my goodness gracious, um, really something to see if the cold weather down there deals with them. But the larger issue here as well is that for all this talk about global warming, you're going to have record lows in Florida this weekend in Miami. You know, my dad is from Coral Gables. He used to tell the story his family came to visit from Sweden and it would be in the 50s in the winter time. and the, his Swedish family would come and they would be getting off the plane in their shorts and t-shirts and complaining about how hot it was in Miami when everybody in Miami was wearing their jackets and long sleeves in the 50s like I do here in Georgia. It just, it all depends on, on where you live, I guess. But if you can get some cold weather down there to kill the pythons, that'd be good. I hate it for them. Now, when we come back, what is the percentage? Can you guess? A new poll has come out. What is the percentage of Hispanic voters who like the phrase Latinx? There's a new poll out. My buddy, Patrick Ruffini, good pollster, good data guy. They've done a poll. What is the percentage of Hispanic voters? Because you know, it polls overall about 3%. What is the percentage of Hispanic people who prefer to use the phrase Latinx? I have the answer for you. It may surprise you when we come back. All right. um, I'm going to get to the Latinx, I promise, because it's worth. But I just just got sent this. This is fascinating. Um, So I collect cookbooks, and it drives my wife insane. I had to have built-in bookshelves in my house. Now, when I tell you I collect cookbooks, you're thinking, yeah, he's got a couple dozen, maybe a hundred. Oh, I have more than that. A friend one time said, have you actually cooked out of these cookbooks? No, not all of them, but I've read every one of them. Why do I read them? Because I like to take bits and pieces of different recipes and put them together into something new. It's why I have my recipe list that you can subscribe to. This isn't actually a plug for that, but if you want to, you can text the word recipe to 33777. I just, I love cookbooks. I've always loved cookbooks. I've always loved to cook. I cook stuff that I won't even eat because I'm a picky eater, but I love to cook it because um, they're fascinating recipes. And I so I've got cookbooks. I've got cookbooks from all over the world. I've got cookbooks from China. I've got cookbooks from parts of Africa, cookbooks from the Middle East, cookbooks from Europe, cookbooks from South America, Central America, North America. I've got uh, all sorts of cookbooks from regions of the U.S. I got the Yankee cookbooks. I got the Southern cookbooks. They're my favorite, obviously. I've got the barbecue cookbooks. I got the pellet grill cookbooks. I got the charcuterie cookbooks. I had them all. I had lots of cookbooks. I buy cookbooks all the time. Gifts to me. I wish people would stop trying to give me bourbon and cigars because I'm a picky eater and I'm a picky smoker and a picky drinker. Give me a cookbook. Although I probably have the cookbook you're buying for me. I love cookbooks. I always have. I can't explain it. I have a massive cookbook collection. My wife wishes I would give them away. And maybe one day I'll start saying, nah, I never really use this one. I'll give it away. But I got a lot of them. I've got books that aren't cookbooks. They're books on cooking. The science behind the cooking. The Maillard reaction explained all of that. Well, there are two cookbooks that are coming out. One in particular, I was looking forward to. Uh, Melissa Clark, uh, she is Clark Barr, um, famous chef, cooker, recipe developer. She has a cookbook coming out, Dinner for One. And then there's another cookbook coming out, uh, Turkey and the Wolf. Both of these cookbooks coming out, except they're not now. They're at the bottom of the Atlantic. These cookbooks, this is... um, Melissa Clark, she has this in keeping with the zeitgeist of 2022. I regret to inform you that my all new cookbook dinner in one may have sunk to the bottom of the ocean. And so has the publication date now delayed until September. There was a maritime storm in the Atlantic containers were crushed. Actually, I'm sorry. It was the Pacific containers were crushed. Some of the containers fell overboard. My cookbook along with Turkey and the Wolf's cookbook, is MIA on the high seas. That's right. All the entire publication run for this cookbook, Dinner in One, is at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Won't be getting that cookbook anytime soon. My wife can breathe easy. All right, Billy, to the phones. Welcome. How are you? Good, Eric. How are you today? I'm great. What's going on? So we went to watch Georgia beat up on Michigan down in Miami, and we did a tour down there on one of the airboats. And what the park rangers told us was that it got cold 10 or 12 years ago, and a lot of the snakes died, and they thought it was a good thing, but it ended up not being great because all the snakes was weaker genetics were the ones that died, and now they have a stronger snake than they did before. Oh, geez. Well, that's not good. That's not good at all. Uh, I don't know that they're ever going to get rid of them. They're they're becoming, and you know what's going to happen, Billy, is that in like 20 years, the environmentalists are going to say, you can't kill the pythons, the poor pythons. They live here. Um, Where right now they're like, we got to kill these things because they're destroying the environment. And they really are. uh, An invasive species absolutely flat out destroying the environment of the Everglades. I mean, they're eating the alligators. That's not good. Okay. I asked... How many Hispanic people in the United States embrace the word Latinx? Now, you should know there is some data out there. My buddy Patrick Graffini did this. 3% of registered voters use the word Latinx. 3%. The question that has been on a lot of people's minds is How many actual, like, Latino or Hispanic voters like the word Latinx? If 3% of Americans do, it must be a kind of high number of Latino voters who do to get to 3% of the whole population. Actually, no. The answer is zero. Well, I shouldn't really say zero. Um... Among Hispanic voters, it's something like 0.0 something percent, maybe 0.3 percent, basically none, none. But so why? Because 9% of white liberals and 7% of white college-educated Democrats use the term Latinx. Latinx is a term, according to the survey, by well-respected data analyst Patrick Raffini. Nearly everyone who prefers the use of the term Latinx is not Hispanic. Over 80% are white. Fully half are white liberals who are less than 20% of all voters. Less than 1%, closer to 0% of people who would identify as Hispanic or Latino embrace the word. In fact, among all voters, uh, 42% embraced the word Hispanic. 26% 26% embrace the nationality. Are they Cuban, Mexican, Puerto Rican, Venezuelan, Argentinian? 15% say Latino. Only 3% say Latinx of all voters. Of Trump voters, only 1% say Latinx. Of Biden voters, 4% say Latinx. Among Hispanic voters, pretty much none of them say Latinx. Now, I bring this up to make a larger point about this. Uh, This, by the way, it's uh, just so you know, the sourcing, it's an echelon Insights poll with the Daily Wire of 1,029 registered voters. And it's pretty much Latinx is not a word that really anyone who is Hispanic or Latino uses. Only rich white people use it. Now, I bring all that up because the New York Times has an interview with Roy Texiera, who wrote one of the most influential political books of the early 21st century. I've talked about this before. Uh, back when George W. Bush was riding high, the Republicans actually gained seats in midterms. It was one of the very few times in American history where the incumbent president's party gained seats in a midterm election. It's virtually unheard of. It's only happened, I think, uh, less than five times where the party holding the White House gained seats in midterms. George W. Bush was able to pull it off. People forget he was so popular after 9-11 that his party gained seats. And Roy Teixeira comes out with a book with John Judas, and it's called the Emerging Democratic Majority. And their premise was, rest easy, Democrats. We've been saying for a very long time now, demography is destiny. Since the 1970s, actually, just as history, I had to write about this when I was in college Uh, When did the phrase demography's destiny really take off? It was in the 1970s after after Richard Nixon's reelection in the Washington Post. I forget now who it was, but in the 1970s that wrote in the Washington Post, don't worry about this. The Republicans' days are numbered with the growth of black voters in this country, with the rise of Hispanic voters over time in this country, with the immigration of people into this country. The days of the Republican Party are numbered. And it has become the prevailing wisdom of the political prognosticators of television and radio and and the newspaper that the days of the Republican Party are over because demography is destiny. And with the rise of black voters and the rise of Hispanic voters, the rise of Asian voters, the GOP depends on white voters. And as the number of white voters declines and the number of non-white voters rises, demography is destiny and the GOP is toast. And here comes Roy Texiera in 2002 and says, hey, Democrats, don't worry about George W. Bush. Demography is destiny. And the days of the GOP are done. There is an emerging Democratic majority. And then 2004 hit. And Bush won with 51% of the vote. And they came out and said, Guys, we're at the tipping point now. We're at the tipping point. Don't worry about it. Calm down. It's going to happen. And in 2006, the Democrats took over Congress. Nancy Pelosi became Speaker of the House. In 2008, Barack Obama, on a multicultural, multi ethnic, multi racial majority, becomes President of the United States, the first black man in American history to become President of the United States. And everyone says, Oh my gosh. Roy Teixeira, he's a genius, genius. He was a prophet. We should listen to him. Except it looks like the Democrats' days are done. The Republicans, even without redistricting, will take over Congress this year. Barring events. Events can change things. Events can always change things. George W. Bush would have lost in the midterms of 2002. But for 9-11, events can change things. But it would have to be a pretty profound event to change the trajectory. Republicans will take back the House. They will probably at this point take back the Senate. It is worth noting that not a single president has ever since the invention of modern polling changed his popularity and job approval rating between January and November of a midterm election significantly enough to alter the outcome of the election. Not a single president has done that. If you're popular, you stay popular. If you're not popular, you don't get popular. Joe Biden, he's not getting popular. The real-care politics polling average right now today Of the Joe Biden job approval rating, it is down negative 14 points. He's in all-time high territory. He's in Donald Trump territory. It's actually worse than Donald Trump in a lot of polls. In the Quinnipiac poll, Donald Trump was never as unpopular as Joe Biden is right now. In fact, Joe Biden is more unpopular now than Donald Trump was at this time in 2018 in the midterm elections when the Republicans got wiped out. So Roy Texera, whatever happened to your Democratic majority? The New York Times did an interview with him. They did a Q and A. And Derek says some interesting things. Let me read you part of this. As president, Biden sinks in the polls. Texera finds himself fighting against what he says is a caricature of his famous book. His substack newsletter, The Liberal Patriot, delivers a no-holes-barred reality-based analysis, in Texera's words, unafraid to take on what he calls race-essentialist dogma, dominating the Democratic Party. He's unsparing about the party strategists who he believes are leading Democrats astray, and unapologetic about offending many of his own side. His newsletter has become a kind of samizdat for like-minded liberals who aren't as willing to speak their minds. Now, what is samizdat? Samizdat was in behind the Iron Curtain, the copying and distribution of literature, that was banned by the state. It was very famous. The Samizdat comes from, I believe it's a German, it's either a Russian or a German word. I think Russian, Russian word. It was self-published material that the heretics of communism would would circulate it was the truth, in other words. It was the truth. The communists would hide the truth. The propaganda machine would shut it down. And so some communists, some people who lived in communist regimes behind the Iron Curtain would circulate this. And, and Roy Tex here is kind of his newsletter, according to the New York Times, has become Samistat for liberals who know what's going on, but they're too scared to speak up about it. He tells the New York Times there are some people who think I've completely lost it, but I feel like we're making some progress. So what does he say? And this, this is a, a question here from the New York Times. There's a lot of nuance that gets lost in translation, but the narrative that a lot of people took from your book was that the Democratic Party would benefit from the inevitable growth of people of color, young people, and this new cadre of voters who at the time seemed ready to join the party and put the GOP in the rearview mirror. And the narrative has been complicated since then, hasn't it? <laughs> What does he say happened? Now, you need to understand, there was a time that a lot of people said the nation is going to turn up like California. What does Texera say? He says the problem is his premise of the emerging Democratic majority depended on the Democrats bringing people of color together with the white working class. And in trying to bring together people of color with the white working class, the Democrats managed to alienate the white working class. They decided to rush so far forward, the white working class was turned off. But not only them, conservative non-white voters are alienated as well, and they're moving to the GOP. In other words, wokeism. He'll say what everybody knows behind the scenes, what James Carville's been saying on TV, the wokes of the Democratic Party, the squad, they're killing the Democrats. And by the way, Charlie pointed this out. i got to give him credit for this. Have you noticed how quiet the squad is? It's like they put them in the witness protection program so they don't even cause more harm to the Democrats in the election. They're awfully quiet right now, aren't they? The Ilhan Omars, the Rashida Tlaibs, the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortezes. Where are they? Where are they? They're real quiet. Could it be that the Democrats realize how much damage the squad has done to their chances of winning this year? Even Roy Texier and his emerging Democratic majority says, it was going to happen, guys, but you killed it because you alienated the white working class. And now you're toast. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I I got to, this sets off my BS detector. I assume it will set off yours as well. This is from Vox, the Vox kids. A new study suggests that regular cash payments to parents can speed up brain activity in infants. <laughs> 2021 featured a remarkable policy experience experiment in the United States. On July 15th, the federal government began sending monthly checks to parents for up to $300 per child. The checks phased out for top earners, but otherwise had no strings attached. Parents could use the money however they wanted. It was a policy that is common in other countries but never tried in the United States. A new study suggests that direct cash payments like the tax credit might meaningfully alter the neurological development of newborns in families that receive the money. The paper published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences examines an experiment called Baby's First Years that has been given one group of hundreds of low-income mothers $20 per month for several years and has given another group $333 per month for the same period. The experiment hopes to explore the neurological effects of large-scale cash transfers on the development of young children akin to those conducted in 2021 through the child tax credit. According to the study... Comparing brainwave activity in infants and households receiving $20 per month to infants and households receiving $333 per month, would they find babies and houses getting more money show more high-frequency brain activity than babies and houses getting less money? I have to call bull, blah, 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 on this, really? Giving mom and dad cash makes the baby's brain go fast. Do we really believe this? Do you really believe this? The left certainly does. Now they want every kid, every family with kids to get a lot of money for them brainwaves. Good Lord. It's 2022 and guess what? Nothing still makes sense. The whole world seems to be going crazy right now and banks have gotten really skittish at helping small businesses. They're perfectly happy to help the giant businesses. But what about you? You're a small business. You got to buy a building or build a building or you need a big loan for a fleet of vehicles to grow your business and the banks are giving you a hard time. Check out my friends at First Liberty Building and Loan. They can help you nationwide wherever you are. If you're a small business and you need access to loans, let's say 500,000 and up, First Liberty can do it. They've been doing this since the early 90s. The Frost family are friends of mine. They're committed Christians and they're great business people and they are committed to small businesses. Reach out to them. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. FirstLibertyGA.com. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if they're a good fit for you. See if you're a good fit for them. They want to help you get to yes, where the big banks are saying no. Nationwide, they can help you if you're a small business. FirstLibertyGA.com is the website. FirstLibertyGA.com.